Hey, it's Party Time Mom. Welcome to another episode of the Chad Bray the Show. Good to be with you right here in the Mothership, which is Studio 22. Of course, Puppet Master. Mark Tate hanging out over there, driving this ship, taking What's us it? into just a new new sphere of awesomeness. This is wow. I feel good about this wow. episode. It's a good day. Yeah. It's cooled down to like ninety-four outside 94. in Texas. Yeah. yeah I almost I almost want to put a jacket on. Almost. 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 You're wearing a jacket. I am. Actually. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, this room can kind of go up and down in temperature yeah. and uh, kind of ice it down a little bit. And I, I feel get... like this corner of the room stays cooler than the rest of the room, maybe because we're not in the lights You're probably much, getting yeah. the air. It blows over that way. Yeah, it probably, it's probably Yeah, because people can't see it, you know. The yeah. air handler's right over here, so I'm mm-hmm. sitting straight under it, but it blows out. Yeah. I'm getting yeah. older, and I know that because I'm starting to, I'm getting menopause, and I got the flashes. Like, uh, I wake okay. up, I have night sweats. <laughs> When you get older, you get night sweats, right? I'm 46. Night, night sweats. You wake up in the bed soaking wet. It's menopause, dude. Wow. It is. It's, it's menopause. Menopause. We'll call it that. And it's a horrible feeling because you're soaking wet and you're cold. Like you got to go, now you got to take the sheets off and it's like you've been in the pool or you just got out of the shower. I'm not old. I'm just getting older. Like I can still play yeah. with myself, but it gives me heartburn. You know what I'm saying? It's just weird things that happen. <laughs> weird things. Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians. Sitting up. You're in that weird phase before old, which is just gross. Yeah. I mean, you know, you start getting arthritic. <laughs> you start scratching your inner ear with your keys. You know, that kind of thing. Like, you go through the Academy Sporting Goods looking for new shoes, and, and Velcro looks like a great option. Like, I mean, yeah. With You've been talking about your gout struggle, so I think yeah. Velcro is in your future. Or I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you. <laughs> Candace, don't you start bringing that African... Witch doctor black magic over here and putting that evil on me. Don't you do it. Noted. I mean, I can't yeah. really help what, what Do you get back to Edith Ababa very much? Do you... I can't say. To go no. back and be your African queen? I think I uh, gave up the timeshare a few months ago, so. Look at you with a sense of humor! <laughs> Women can it. be funny, too. You can be. <laughs> you just need a chance. Somebody give her a chance. <laughs> Sitting over in the peanut gallery, as always, taking up space, party foul Steve. That's what I do. That's a good-looking shirt you're wearing. It is. It's a vintage Chad Prather It is. Look at shirt. the silhouette of these that are handsome going, man. These are going away. I've got a few left. You do? Just a, just a handful. These are going away. Can people away. get them? They can still get them. Are they on watchchad.com? I don't know. They can get them at shows, live shows. Are you still selling those? Okay. I still got a few of them. September 27th. Uh, whole new whole new merch line coming out. Watchchad.com. Whole new merch line. And you go get it. It's going to be some cool stuff. We even got a shirt out there. Herbert the Silent Deer is on it. It says Studio 22. <laughs> you can't live without Herbert in your life. Michelle Krennic, Dr. Michelle Krennic. Dr. Michelle Krennic. <laughs> Back to life chiropractic. She's in here. She's monitoring Steve. I take her everywhere I go now. Yeah, she's like your like, pocket pocket practitioner. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My favorite human on the planet. No question about it. Michelle Krennic, glad you're in here. Thank and, you. And uh, back to life chiropractic. I'm coming to see you tomorrow. You are. You better. You always say that like I won't. Mm. We make a lot of plans we cancel. Don't we? <laughs> you and I. We make we like we plan dinner and let's go get some wine or whatever and then I fall through. But you are coming tomorrow. I'm gonna come tomorrow. And then what? I have to as you say, keep coming. 
Yes. Don't say anything, Steve. <laughs> not. It was a weird joke right there that you There's missed. It really flew right weird. past you. No. Nope. Yeah. Anyway. Past me. Eric Rittmeyer sitting here in a hot seat. Eric is a Marine. You can never say former Marine. You don't stop being a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Although, party foul Steve does cause me to question that a little bit. <laughs> hey, there's always that one, you know, anomaly. Is, anomaly. That, is that a good Anomaly. Word? Look That's at you. Big. Perfect word. <laughs> I looked that up this morning. I thought it might come in handy. You're an anomaly. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the lazy Marine. I laughed out loud. I was listening to a podcast episode from a week or so ago, and you were talking about how you did hard labor, yeah. you know, working in the oil field and then four years in the Marines. Yeah, vice versa. I did Marines first and then oil field. And that's why you have such a bad back now. That's one of the reasons. It has nothing to do with the fact that you don't stand up straight and don't have a neck. I yeah. thought it was a football injury. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it was actually my amateur wrestling career that kind of <laughs> put it, you know. You ever hear? You know what? Of, I you, was you thinking about that. Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes. Did you hear about the Tijuana match? I didn't hear about it. Well, was there a donkey involved? About it. They just asked him about it. So that's that's an interesting road yeah. show right there. Yeah. Steve, we're going to get wrestling suits. I don't know why, but I was thinking about this the <laughs> other day. I want us to get the wrestling leotards. All right. And the little things you wear on your ears. Yes. Mm. And we're just going to go out in public. All right. Let's do it. See what happens. Sign autographs. And Eric. <laughs> <laughs> You've been on the TV everywhere. You got a book out called The Emotional Marine, 68 Mental Toughness and Emotional Intelligent Intelligence Secrets to Make Anyone Instantly Like You. You're like the Marine Dale Carnegie, aren't you? That's a good – I like that actually. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Make people instantly like you. How, what, what is it – like how does one to become – how does one become a mental toughness expert? That's a good question, actually. I'm, I hope nobody ever asked me that question because I just kind of made this stuff up, right? Like, these like, what's your title? I'm like, mental toughness and emotional intelligence mm-hmm. expert. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, it's emotional control. I mean, we're just horrible at it. You know, as humans, we just cannot control emotion. Like, everybody gets their panties in a bunch every time you say something you don't like. I mean, the political environment's a prime example of that. Yeah. It's about emotional control. Everybody thinks it's like push-ups and running 10 miles. It's not about that. It's just about understanding that you're not going to agree with other people and controlling and not going back crazy on somebody because they disagree with you. That's okay. You can do that. Well, that's the thing because social media is a perfect example. You got you, you say anything and now it lights up with F you, go to hell, kiss my, you know, up yours and all that kind of stuff. People just can't face a differing opinion. They can't. I'm, I'm very pro-blue. I do a lot of stuff. Pro, I'm, very, I'm about as pro-blue as you can be without actually being a police officer. Yeah. And it blows my mind how many shows I do and I get done and I just get destroyed, drugged through the mud. Mm-hmm. People call me everything under the sun because I support police. Yeah. And it's insane to me. I'm like, this, these are police officers. These aren't like, you know, this isn't like MS-13. I'm talking about these are police officers. So people just get upset. You know, it's a cancel culture, right? I mean, everybody's got to get I like their, that, yeah. Everybody's got to get upset about something just because they don't agree with you. That phrase, I, I, that's kind of been my current pet peeve is this cancel culture. Is if you make a joke that's wrong, you got to get them. They get fired from Saturday Night Live. Or if you know Kevin Hart did a tweet that was considered homophobic eight years ago, then he doesn't get to host the Oscars. Those kind of things. You know, coming out of the world where I try to make people laugh, doing public comedy on stage, live audiences, I've yet to do a show where somebody did not send me a message afterwards with "I'm so disappointed in you," <laughs> just so disappointed. But things like humor are so subjective, I don't know if it's going to work or not until I do it, mm-hmm. you know? And so these days, though, people are getting so offended. You can't say anything. Like, everything has to become political. So so the intelligence quotient, we know that, IQ. But then you have this emotional quotient, the EQ. And that's been a big thing these days. 
Does that factor in with this? Yeah, so for the longest time, everybody's always been thought, you know, the higher your IQ, the more successful you're going to be. And this was, you know, years and years. You take this test, the higher you score, the smarter you're going to be, the better you're going to do in business. And all of a sudden, it was like, wait a minute, these people that are smart can't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. It's like, there's got to be something else there. EQ comes into existence about mid-90s, I would say. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you don't have to be book smart to be successful. It Mm -hmm. just so happens that the majority of people I know, the ones with the highest IQs, their EQs are non-existent. Party foul Steve. Like, party (laughs) foul Steve is low IQ. He's low IQ, IQ, but his EQ is solid. They're almost inversely related, right? So I got some very smart friends. I mean, they'll, like, solve algorithms for molecular, whatever the hell you want to call them. But you ask them to go order a pizza at the pizza joint, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? I have to talk to them. I got to go to public? Yeah, people. Around people? Yeah, but meanwhile, they score, like, 1,500 on their SATs. So I've always explained it this way. You correct me here, because I want to know if I'm even close. Like, I've looked at people who spend their life, like the puppet master over here, Mark, spend their life in front of a screen or dealing with an object, you know, that they're having to, uh, monitors in front of them. Musicians sometimes or sound engineers, you know, they've, they've spent their entire life socializing with a guitar or a piano. And then a lot of times, a lot of times the artsy people or the really smart IT people, maybe they don't know how to deal. Mm-hmm. See, like Mark, Mark only knows two words, <laughs> pretty and good pretty good interesting <laughs> three, three. <laughs> so like mark mark like you know mark's a funny funny guy but you really got to get him talking and that, that's a hard thing to do and the kids especially you know and we and you know i i joke a lot but i'm being serious it, it's more about social media now than it is mm-hmm. about social interaction mm-hmm. i'm your age right so i'm yep. 45 i'm mid i'm in that the velcro shoe kind of phase right now mm-hmm. i don't have the hot sweats at nighttime you're in yet, good shape though gosh. so you still do things i have no testosterone do things right i'm all estrogen at this point it's all good we all get there somehow i don't jam the key in my ears i don't pull joe <laughs> biden on it no but it's like these these kids are all about social media than they are about social interaction so it's yeah. like they can sit on the keyboard and do what they got to do but when it comes to communicating, they, they miss that. So they go through school, they memorize, regurgitate, memorize, regurgitate. They get thrown out in the workforce. They go the yeah. first day on the job. Somebody says something they don't like. They go nutso, and they scream and yell and run out the door saying they were triggered. And what you're saying is, is so simple, it's very profound mm-hmm. because that's the thing. People have not taught. You know, it used to be if you had a bully at school, you, you dealt with it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you got your ass kicked, but you dealt with it. You went out there in the playground, and you based it up. And these days, you don't do it. These kids don't know how to deal with rejection. And and all of a sudden you go into this job and you – I can remember four years – almost five years of my life, I kind of went through a burnout and I said, screw it. I'm tired of being an entrepreneur. I'm tired of hustling. I'm tired of working for myself. I'm going to go be like the rest of the world, get a corporate job. Went to work for a Fortune 300 company. Did well, but I was miserable. And I can remember one time in our offices they had they, – they, everybody, they pulled everybody – there were several hundred people in this office building. They pulled a group down and said, okay, we're having a meeting with this group. And then on another floor, they're having a group with this – or a meeting with this group. And they told our group, they said, they're, the people in the other group, when they go back upstairs, there's going to be a box on their desk. <laughs> and they're all leaving. Wow. They're all gone. We'll take care of them. We'll help them get – and so it's interesting to watch people's reactions because that's real life. Were those people bad? Were they not good at their job? No, not it's just a downsizing. Yeah. You know? And people these days, they don't know how to deal with things like that. They don't. And the problem is it, it's expanded now to politics. I mean, that's the issue. I call it emotion-based politics. Which Let's is talk about that a little bit. Expand on that some. Yeah, emotion-based politics. There's no fact anymore. So it's like the minute I come at you with a fact that disagrees with the belief you have, mm-hmm. you automatically default to 
racist, bigot, mm-hmm. fascist, just because I'm giving you facts that disagree with the belief you have. People can't accept that. Yeah. So we use these emotion-based politics. We take the AOCs of the world that have millions of followers. They throw something out there and call it a concentration camp. And, you know, all of a sudden they got people shooting everybody up. There's no facts behind it. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. So systematically we're desensitizing people. So we're throwing stuff out there enough. Their brain gets systematically desensitized to it. They hear it enough. They start to believe it. Yeah. The Green New Deal is a prime example of that. You got people now are starting to like grab onto it. Like, really? Are you, is that part of your brain not functioning or what? Seriously. Have you worked a day in your life to understand the numbers don't work out? But it's all motion-based. Yeah. And you hear people who are – people that you think are reasonably intelligent candidates who are running for office or holding a very big office. And when I first read the Green New Deal, I was like, this looks like something an eighth grader wrote and titled it The Way the World Should Be. You know, And, and you read it, but now they're actually saying this needs to be a thing. Uh, it, it's absolutely – it looks like it should have crayon drawings on it. It's just ludicrous, but people have accepted it. And my philosophy on that, to your point, and and I love how you say it because it kind of puts a more intellectual spin on my weird scramblings in my brain, is uh, I think that they're brainwashing us in a way without – they're whitewashing history. You know, like you call it a concentration camp – well, our southern detention centers on the border, they're not trying to create genocide hmm. like the concentration camps were. Because you wake up one day and you're like, where are all the Jews? They were here yesterday. I mean, just a minute ago. Now they're gone. We're not down there going, well, where are all the Mexicans going? Hmm. I mean, they show up at the border and then they disappear. There's a lot of smoke, you know. But that's not what we're saying. That, so to say this is a whitewash of history, but they don't go too far because I almost believe that these people will start using Hitlerian – I don't even know if that's a word. Is that a word, Candace? Hitler, Hitlerian tactics. It is now. It is now. We like made it up. You heard it here at the Jeff Brady Show. Party time, Mom. Uh, they'll start using those t- same tactics because that's what socialism does. And the problem is you won't know that's what it is because you've been so whitewashed of your, not just your language but the language of your mind. It's desensitizing. You know, it's like yeah. boot camp. I mean, Steve, you can relate to this. And you, know, you go through boot camp and you get there the first day, the first month. These people are yelling in your face. They're screaming at you. After the first month or so, you're like, all right, they're going to scream at me. My brain doesn't. I shut you off now. It's like yeah. a game to me. That's the issue, especially with the millennials and all coming through 70 plus million of them. They haven't worked. They don't know what it's all about. So they hear free education. They hear free health care. They hear free everything. And they're like. Yeah, I'll vote for that. Meanwhile, they don't have a clue what it takes to pay for it. So they're just basically taking these kids. They are brainwashing. They're desensitizing to the point where they're going to get the votes for it. We got 12 years left to live, right? I mean, that's basically the world's coming to an end now. So we got 12 years left to live before this whole place goes up. 11 if you live on Martha's Vineyard. True. Where the, where the Obama just bought And she house. did claim that about six months ago. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're kind of in the hole here. We're screwed. Yeah, we are. I mean, why even invest? Yeah. Why even care? Yeah, I go for gold personally. Yeah, I mean, too, GMR gold. I get I get the bullion boxes every month. My buddy Charlie Stevens down in uh, the Woodlands, Texas, let me tell you, he hooks me up. <laughs> I spend a lot of money on gold, silver, and platinum. A lot of, I buy, I've got a lot of weird stuff in the safe. Like my wife came in the other day, and she was like, why do you have all these dimes? And I'm like, woman, that's 90% silver. They're not just dimes. Mm-hmm. They're worth money. And those 10-cent pieces are worth 3 bucks each, so <laughs> don't, don't spend the dimes. Yeah. But you're right. I, you know, why are we doing – why do we even look to the future? I have always said you can't do business while you're trying to go out of business so why are you why are we keep thinking about this almost a fatalistic worldview that's out there and you're right it's because 
I think, honestly, I think people are too weak to live on the planet. It's fear-mongering, too. I mean, it's fear-based politics as well. I mean, everything's designed. I mean, think, look at the whole Democratic message. It's all fear-based. Yeah. If you don't, then you are. That's their philosophy. If you don't, then you are. If you don't agree with gun control, then you want to murder kids. Yeah. If you don't agree with climate change, you want the world to end. It's this fear tactic stuff. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, some people sign up for it. Some people believe it. That's the scary thing. Have you always been this smart? Never. Come on. I got the good looks. I didn't get the smarts. Pretty. <laughs> It's pretty. It's makeup. Yeah, I want to rub your head. The uh, I I uh, <laughs> I've always said that these women out here having these vagina hat rallies that us guys need to go out and have a foreskin rally, and we could wear turtlenecks and just pull them up over our head, and they would look good on you because you're bald. That is that would great. Kind of cool. That'd be yeah. awesome. We could Brett Kavanaugh. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was just walking by and it landed in my hand. No. Yeah. Somehow I became a penis, and uh, <laughs> there it is. I don't know what I was protesting. Monday Night Football being on ESPN. Who knows. <laughs> Real issues. Uh, <laughs> Poor our buddy, our buddy uh, Scott Husing, who wrote Echo and Ramadi, you know, he talks about how he was a hor- he was horrible at school. He went to the Marine, went in the Marines, uh, was a war hero, and then then he went came out and went to college. And he said the first book he ever read was the book he wrote. <laughs> so he's not that smart, we know. But yeah, he's a killing machine. I love that about him. Um, but no, I I look at that and I'm like, I don't know that people are. I, I like okay. I look at the millennials. You mentioned them. Then I look at Gen Z. Like I have hope for Gen Z. Mm-hmm. I have hope for them because they they tend to have a little more conservative leanings. The millennials. We won't get into the whole generational aspect of what created that because our generation Gen X is just as much at fault. We created this, mm-hmm. right? The boomers had their problem. They created us, and so who knows? Maybe by the time our kids get along, we'll hit a big reset and something common sense will come back but i don't know because we've lost critical thinking and that's that's it's it's objective reality we don't think critically anymore we just get so overwhelmed and that that's what i speak on it's emotional control so emotion and logic they're inversely related the more emotional you are the less logical you are yeah so my whole thing when i talk to my groups and i talk to these sales teams say my goal is to get you guys drunk in emotion Mm -hmm. like what's that mean i'm like drunk in emotion is the point where you get so emotional you're incapable of thinking logically. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that benefits you. Normally it doesn't. In business, it never does. In politics, it's that way. I mean, listen to these people yell and scream at each other. It's like you're so drunk in emotion, you're incapable of making a logical decision. When you're making life or death decisions, that's that's a problem. Yeah. Look at how Trump's handling this stuff right now. I was very impressed with that. I was very impressed with the fact that he held back and did not decide to bomb when they shot down one of our drones. That was very shocking to me because yeah. I thought emotions were going to get the best of them. Yeah. And and that's the idea people think of Trump. Mm-hmm. They're like he's just ruled by emotions, but he's been very methodical. He's mm-hmm. been the exact opposite of what people assume he's going to be. Yeah, because people say like his mental is you know is President Trump mentally tough, and I say parts of me say yes he is, parts of me say no he's not. No, he's not. The the self regulation piece of it, I say no he's not. He's not able to regulate his emotion. Mm-hmm. Look at his Twitter feed. You know I've been saying that forever now. Like all he's got to do is shut off his Twitter account, and he wins the election. Let yeah. them infight. Let them do their thing. Let the yeah. AOCs just throw them in there. Let them let them talk about, you know, changing this, changing that, and gender this and gender that. We're talking about the dictionary. They just added a new term in there, too, in the mirror, mm-hmm. uh, dictionary. They. They is they. now an official official definition, by the way. Yeah. I, I refer to myself as, as— Are you a they, them? I don't, I'm still trying to figure that part out. I might try to come up with a new one. I'm See, Sam yet. Smith, who is a U.K. recording artist who's had— Numerous number ones. He's Grammy nominated. Numerous number ones in the UK. I'll say that. He just recently came out. He said, I've always known that I was binary. Uh, and now I've come out with I'm, I'm identifying as a they them. But then in his statement, he kept talking about I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm going to do this. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're not even referring to yourself as a they them. 
Why do you keep referring to yourself as I? And if he gets nominated for a Grammy again, is he going to be in the group category or is this going to be as a solo artist? This is the kind of sh- matters, Eric. I 100% agree with that. Are we an I or are we a we? You know, that's 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 a major problem. And yeah. it just, it's, it's crazy to me. California is a prime example of this. They just made some changes out there. They're no longer manholes in the ground. They're not right, manholes. Right, right. They're utility holes. Utility holes. Yeah. So like mannequins are now peoplekins. Yeah. Like seriously, is this where we live? Like, yeah. is that where you're putting emphasis? You got people living on the street. Shooting it's up. ma'am. <laughs> I like that people gun right there. Did you see the uh, article that came out where the it was a privately owned coffee company and the transgender barista uh, screamed at – it was someone who used to work for Candace. Who was it? Uh, they were an aide, 23-year-old young lady. She was an aide to a Republican conservative politician. God, he slips me. But was identified and went in there. And they were like, get the F out of here, you fascist, blah, blah, blah. Well, the person, the transgender person lost their job over it, rightfully so, because you're kicking, you know, a person out of there. But, you know, this thing comes out and I loved like the New York Times, which is a is just a is a utility hole itself, uh, came out and said that transgender person fired for opposing. And it was like totally bent it. Mm -hmm. So it made it like they were the victim. And so I retweeted it. I said, well, it's because he was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> has nothing to do with it. I mean, he's a dude yeah. identifying as a woman, so he was a dick. <laughs> and so, you know, I, it's like this is the world we're living in. These and days. you got the guy, too. You got – well, I shouldn't – I'm sorry. It was a, it was a transgender woman. He's a dude. He's a dude yeah. who went in for the bikini wax with oh, a yeah. Brazilian. You know? Yeah, Jessica Yaniv. And Jimmy Yaniv. I don't even, is it Jimmy? I don't even know. Jessica, Jessica. Jessica's basically, I was, I was, you know, doing some follow-up, whatever. Jessica's posting stuff on her page talking about she's getting her period. Mm-hmm. And Couldn't like, get in the pool because of because it. You saw that one. Yeah. Forgot it's the like, tampons. I didn't have a tampon with me, but I was so excited to get my period. That's a biological male saying they're not getting their period, and everybody yeah. looks like that that's okay. That and the fact that the illogical point of it is no woman has ever celebrated getting their period. <laughs> you know, nobody's like, oh, you know, I couldn't get in the pool because I got my period. Oh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. Woo-hoo, my ties. <laughs> they know that doesn't happen. No. Idiots. And they expect everybody – that's the problem. Like you can define whatever you want to define as don't jam their other people's throats. Obviously yeah. don't have people losing their jobs because of yeah. how they feel. So. Well, then you, and then you had the lady in uh, the U.K., who was arrested for misgendering someone over Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so this this is the kind of culture we're living in that's a slippery, dangerous place because things have gotten so esoteric and existential, and we're living in that age of postmodernism where people can't even define postmodernism. It's just how I'm interpreting the world. So we have these ideas of my truth. You know, I, I, this is my – I'm living my truth. Well, there's the truth. Mm-hmm. There's no my truth in that regard. And then back to the point of what you were saying earlier, I think, for instance, conservatives and liberals have the same goals. We don't want kids dead. We want the economy strong. We want our country great. We we want equality for people, equality of opportunity, whether regardless of your gender or sexual orientation. We want these things by and large. We value certain aspects of patriotic America. We just have a different method of getting there. And people can't handle that taking a different route. You either do it my way or you don't do it. And the right, by the way, I will go and say, I say it all the time, is just as guilty. Mm -hmm. Is just as guilty. Yeah. 
And people get beat over the head with this stuff, and that, yeah. that's what gets so frustrating about politics. Like, just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you have to beat them over the head with it. Mm-hmm. They're not a horrible person. We can't have an opposing point of view. That's, we can't suspend our disbeliefs. That's what I speak on. We're incapable of that. So we can't, we can't take an opposing point of view and come into that with an open mind. Yeah. I automatically have to make up how I feel, and there is no middle ground. Again, goes back to President Trump 101. That's the issue. It's 180-degree opposite. So whatever he says, the left has to think or do the exact opposite. Yeah. If they could just come off and we could both kind of give about 10 degrees either way, be a little bit different. We got to be 180 degree, totally bat crazy opposite of whatever he thinks. That's a major problem. And again, I've said it all the time. Trump is not a far right guy. He, if anything, he's a moderate or left of right politician, but people have to perceive him as being far right. And therefore that's why these extremes are taking place. And these democratic candidates are running on these off the wall platforms that just are just absolutely nutty. Now look at party foul, Steve, look at him. Just look at him. Eric. I want you to look at him. Now, if you saw him out in public, would you just say this guy is emotionally strong? Like, like this guy, his EQ, like he, like you instantly like him. He's got a likable. He's got the hair. It's very likable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's definitely. I can't run my fingers through it. It's in a ponytail today. Is it? Well, it's in a Jedi. I'm doing a Jedi thing. Kay likes to do something different with my hair, so I let her. What the hell is happening right now? What is going on, Steve? <laughs> I was wondering about that when I looked at you. You took the thing off. Turn around. What? Turn. What are you I doing? Turn all the way I'm to twist. What are you it. doing, young it's Padawan? It's like a. It's a Jedi. Oh, we want Kenobi right here. Steve, you have zero midichlorians in your bloodstream. I don't even know what midichlorians are. <laughs> That's what gives people the ability to manipulate the Force. Uh, how do you know that I don't? You don't. I, I just. He the pot- get you can't drive a car without hitting the curb. Uh. So I, I, did, I did get the podcast to completely focus on me and talk about me for a moment. <laughs> Michelle, what did you say? I said, but he does get adjusted. He gets adjusted. So it yeah. could happen. He, come, he, he comes into the chiropractic clinic. Coming at the count so, up, up further up. It's kind of suave, Steve. Thank you. Like I like you could put on your little suit and tie. Bam. Yeah, this is Drop how you off I go. The nearest when queer I'm wearing bar. my suit and tie, this is how I... Tr- do it. That's back in high school. We called that a yup nope. A yup yeah. in the yup in the front, nope in the back. Fitness in the front, party in the rear. Ninety ten. Steve, I'll tell you real quick, it ain't a mullet. It ain't a mullet. It's a mullet. <laughs> They're coming people back. with uh, people with long hair that look like a mullet are always quick to tell you they don't have a mullet, mm-hmm. right? You don't know what we're talking about. I do. I had a mullet in high school. Did you? I was cool. I'm, I had a mullet in high school. You, see, you could still grow hair though. I can. Yeah, I'm a I, can, I can see from your from your yeah. I'm like I'm like Kramer from Seinfeld though. It's like total like yeah, like yeah, not, yeah. yeah. I've been I've been doing it for a long time. I got it. It's it's really bad if it grows out. So <laughs> I can't pull it off. I knew the beard. I'm silver. It gives me a little bit of yeah, marine. You gotta, yeah, 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 yeah. I gotta play the role. You know. I understand. I understand. How, first of all, before we go any further, how do people find you? Somebody wants to bring you in, train their sales team, get the get those folks ready to go out and be successful. How do they find you? Yeah, my website's probably best. Mentaltoughnessspeaker.com. I'm also on Twitter at Mental Speaker. Catch a lot of slack for that. You know, I catch a lot of you know people trying to beat me up on stuff like Mental Speaker. You sound like you got a mental problem, and you know, this, you know. they do, aren't they? I, I tell I you, know. what, they have nothing better to do. It's like was you that know, your Donald Trump invitation right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh! good call. You pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. jeez, <laughs> get me in trouble. I know. Well, what's funny is how many people jump on that. Like, oh, he made fun of somebody with a disability. But then you go back and you look at how many times, and when he's quoting someone. Like over the years, he's done that little motion when he's doing them because that's him being facetious about what they're saying. 
and there's numerous example after example, and people get triggered. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, oh my god. Because it's words. I mean, they, they've yeah. actually done studies on this, which blows my mind. They just did a study. There were 1,500 college students that were interviewed on this, and 30 percent of the kids, the 30 percent of the kids that were surveyed, said they viewed some speech to be an act of violence. Mm-hmm. So these are college kids, three out of 10 walking on a college campus that basically say, if you say something to me I don't like, mm-hmm. I view that as an act of violence, which basically means it's the same thing as you coming and punch me in the face. Yeah. Words, things that were said. Words, sticks and stones. They, these are kids also that said they thought if a, fir- if a person comes in to speak at a university, they have to, based on the First Amendment, they have to have somebody come in with an opposing point of view. They thought that was a First Amendment Right. So our friend Michael Knowles with uh, Daily Wire. So he was speaking at a university uh, a few months ago. And Michael is – Mike is one of the most – he's one of the sweetest guys out there. Very he's, articulate. Yeah. He's articulate. Mm-hmm. He's just nice. He's a sweet guy, super smart. Um, and in the middle of his speech, they just went crazy and they had to haul these people out of there because all of a sudden there was this protest because, you know – Something he said, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. It was completely benign, you know, stuff that you would just just brush on past. And I see things like that scenario that happen over and over and over again. And for instance, Party Foul Steve and I, we we had a show. I had a show in Missoula, Montana. Now Montana, right? <laughs> Land of cowboys, tough people, and hardcore, hard scrabble against the elements. Ranchers up there, but Missoula is different. It's Montanafornia because it, all the Californians have moved in there. And plus, they have the university there. Bozeman is similar. So some guy wrote a hit piece about my comedy show saying, oh, this is unfortunate that they're allowing this guy to come in here and do a show. And we got more death threats. We got more protest threats. We got more. But, I mean, I, they wasn't worried about them. It was a bunch of skinny dudes and, you know, with tight jeans and blue hair. I wasn't nervous. You know, had so <laughs> many piercings in their face that it, their skin whistled when the wind blew. So I wasn't worried about the it. The profile picture's a cartoon character. <laughs> it's an, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. an avatar. Yeah. But back to the thing about Twitter, these people have nothing better to do. Like the, the big thing on Twitter, I have the trolls, you know, that have 17 followers. Mm-hmm. And they love to say, yeah, I'm coming from a fake cowboy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like these days, that's yeah, pretty much true. You know, once upon a time, I used to do cowboy mm-hmm. These days, nah. I, you know, <laughs> nah, I just run my mouth. I just like wearing a hat. <laughs> At this point, it's a fashion statement. I used to do all kind of stuff. Don't anymore. But I just love how they think that's an insult. Like, okay. So easily triggered. Safe zones. Yeah. You know, ben, ben Shapiro, which I love. I love the podcast, too. And yeah. Michael Knowles, actually, the one, um, they had the guy come up. If you saw that, he, like, squirted him with something. Squirted but, him, know, yeah. Yeah, they squirted him. He's like, thank goodness it wasn't anything crazy. What, an acid or, you yeah. know, Yeah, they got the milkshake stuff now. To see. <laughs> they got the milkshake <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and you start Kavanaugh spraying <laughs> semen on me in a public event, I better have some mental toughness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because right. <laughs> I'm going to cut your throat. <laughs> right. I'm going to see your carotid artery spray all over me. <laughs> Wash it's just crazy in your blood. But that's an act. You know, that's like, you know, I'm from Baltimore, right? So when all, we had all the riots in the years back and the mayor back then stand down. She tells the police force, stand down, let them voice their opinions, let them yeah. do what they got to do. They're terrorizing the city. Did it bug you when Trump came out talking about West Baltimore recently? Not at all. Yeah, and, this and, is the truth. And the people that are there, you know, I, the people that are there understand, like, he's not saying it about the people. He's saying it about the city itself. Mm-hmm. It's because of poor leadership. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way for a long time. He didn't say anything. You know, they used the word infested. He used it to refer to New Hampshire, which is 96% white people talking about the drug infested so yeah. to say that word he's calling and the majority of people in baltimore they agree with it they're like hey this we got it. our city's in bad shape it's in bad shape. look at the leadership you know a few years ago and it's still not great but i mean the number one a few years ago 
the number one city in America for drugs and drug abuse was Plano, Texas. Plano, mm-hmm. right up the road here. And you wouldn't think that that'd be the case, but it was. And I can take you to places around the country. Like, for instance, we talked on a recent episode about the uh, pharmaceutical company that made OxyContin filing for bankruptcy protection because they're going out of – they're losing everything because they're getting sued so much. And I made a joke about – it was a joke, but it's also based on truth about how well Kentucky's disappointed because they have the, some of the largest counties in the nation of people dying from uh, OxyContin mm-hmm. abuse. And you're not – these aren't black people. These are folks up in the holler, right, mm-hmm. with nothing better to do. Mm-hmm. They ain't got the money to cook meth. Somebody so put poor man's vacation <laughs> on the – I read it. I was like – You got to quit reading the comments, Steve. I love it. I, I read – I, I do up. 20 minutes of comments just to engage, and then I'm done with it. <laughs> I mean, if I did that, I was, that's all I would do. All I would do. The avatars. People are crazy. They are, you know, and you look at these big cities like this, you look at like a Baltimore, for instance, and it, it's, it's what I speak on a lot. It's what I swear by. It's the lack of father figures. And we, you know, Baltimore is a prime example of the 70 percent of households in Baltimore. Why do you think why do you think people refuse to look at that? Because you're right. Mm hmm. That's a fact. I'll tell you why, because they can't politicize it. You know, we look at these mass shootings. Um, I do a lot of media on this. We look at mass shootings, gun control, gun control. Let's go to the root of this. Okay, 70% of the mass shooters came from households without fathers, 70% of them. You want to talk about a common thread? That's the common thread. Why don't we look more into it? Why don't we do more about it? Because you can't politicize it. Yeah. You can't beat somebody over the head. How do you fix that? Tell yeah. fathers to be fathers? No. Instead, let's go after gun control. Let's, let's institute more laws, which universal background checks wouldn't have stopped a single mass shooting to date. So don't mm-hmm. tell me that's going to fix it. Don't tell me getting rid of if creating more laws is going to fix the issue. It's the people. It's the sensitized kids who grow up without being able to express emotion that don't have a father figure that commit crime. Yeah. Emotional Marine, the Emotional Marine. That's the book. You got to get this book. We're not done talking, by the way. You came down here from Baltimore. We're gonna spend some time together because this is intriguing stuff. You know, back in night in the early 1960s, 75 percent of black households were two parent families. Then all of a sudden, these days, it is. I mean, it's dropped all the way down to nothing. The percentage of black households where the father is present in the household. It's non-existent. I mean, it's non-existent. There are financial reasons for that. There are welfare reasons for that. There are uh, ways to um, fleece the system by it being that way. And it's become an acceptable practice, and it has. So you go to Baltimore. You go to Detroit. You go to the south side of Chicago, and it has become epidemic. Fifty-five percent of gun violence is black-on-black crime. You know, people want to talk about white supremacy and this white nationalism, and that's the reason for all this violence. White on black homicides when it comes to gunplay is less than 1% in this nation. It's a non-existent thing. So what do you do? Everybody wants to talk about mental health. I want to talk about family health. Let's mm-hmm. talk about these these role models. Who are these kids being mentored by? It should be a dad, but unfortunately you're like you know you're you're right when you say, "Okay, how do we roll this back? How do we fix this?" And and there's got to be people, there's got to be men, real men. And men are men are key. Mm-hmm. I know everybody wants to just just abolish the genders these mm-hmm. days. Men are key. 
because who is supposed to be that example of mental toughness? And, and the race part of it's really irrelevant at that it point. It really is. Regardless, yeah. it's like if you're without a father, there are detrimental effects tied to that. Doesn't matter if you're white, and because again, there's a lot of these mass shootings, obviously they're being perpetrated by white kids. Race irrelevant. It's without yeah. a father in the household. And you go back and you say, well, then you know, I catch a lot of slack on that. And like, so you're saying moms can't do a good job. They, they absolutely can, but we each have the own things we provide when raising a child. Uh, mm-hmm. A mom, for instance, does things she's more nurturing. She explains things more to a kid, whereas a male, a father, is more likely to say, here it is, take it, deal with it. So it teaches them critical thinking skills mm-hmm. where a mom might walk them through it. A father says, this is the way it's supposed to be. Figure out how to fix it. So yeah. There's no right or wrong way there. But the problem is, without a combination of both of them, you know, a boy can listen to his mom say, this is what you're supposed to do. But lead by example. They're going to learn a lot more by seeing their father actually set the example than hearing their mom say what needs to be done. I respond to the actions of my kids a lot of times, and I'll say, now, how would my dad have dealt with that? And I realize it is very, very different because my dad was a disciplinarian. My dad was – he was an engineering – he was an engineer, so he had an engineering mind. I am everything but an engineering mind, okay? So I've always been a talker. My dad was very quiet. My dad very very stoic and and very dry sense of humor if, if it ever even came out of him. And my dad was – he was a tough guy. He was a hard guy. He's a good man, but he's a hard guy. And so I look at that, and I'm like – I thank God that this my dad was who was always there, but he was tough on me. And as much as I hated that, it made me a better person, even though our personalities were very, very different. Mm-hmm. It helped me learn to solve things mm-hmm. and deal with things because he didn't just make it easy for me. Mm-hmm. And I find myself a lot of times with my kids just making it easier. Mm-hmm. My dad, when I went off to college, University of Georgia, my dad gave me $25 a week. That was it. That was gas money. That was food money. That was $25. I spent it all in one place. A week. And that was it. And these days, you know, my two oldest daughters are off at two different universities. And, you know, my my 19-year-old daughter, she's like, can you help me with rent again this month? <laughs> yeah, baby, don't you worry about it. I got you. How much you need? Four fifty. dollars Here's 600 <laughs> <laughs> Keep the change. Yeah. yeah. You get you something to eat, baby. <laughs> Go on, drive your car, okay? You know, I mean, it's just, that's it. But it's like, we've done that mm-hmm. to this generation. We have. And, and again, when it comes down to this is not a jab at, at any gender or whatever, but when it comes down to it, a boy especially needs the male role model. Do. You know, and you, and you look at the disrespect for police. That's another thing I talk a lot mm-hmm. about. These New York City police officers, I mean, they're taking a beating. They're, they're, there's lots of reasons why. I mean, it starts with de Blasio, obviously, having providing zero support for them. It starts with them. But the, these kids just don't grow up yeah. in households where they're taught to the respect. Yeah. You know, if you obey an order from a police officer you got about a 99.9% chance everything's going to be okay. Yeah. The minute you don't follow the law, that there's going to be a problem there. So I've always said you can tell a lot about a person based on how they interact with three groups of people. Police officers, waiters and waitresses at, at a restaurant, and animals. Mm-hmm. I can tell everything I need to know about a person based on how they interact with True. them. And that, that, is, that is tried and true for me. I'll go out to restaurants with people. I'll watch how they interact because that waiter can provide no value to them other than bringing them food and drinks. So the way they interact with them tells me a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Someone who can't do anything for them, are they still going to treat them with respect? Kids aren't brought up with any respect. So they're out there running the streets, getting crazy. Then all of a sudden, what happened to this kid? Why all of a sudden is he dealing drugs? Why is he running around? Because he's got nobody to tell him right from wrong. Yeah. There was uh, – and, and again, the old adage is true. If you don't respect authority – you gotta, you've got to you've got to put yourself under authority in order to have authority in your life. And if you disrespect authority and keep fighting authority, eventually someone with authority will put you in subjugation. It might you might go to prison. Mm-hmm. 
But you will be you will submit to someone's authority. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, if you want to have authority in life, you got to submit to authority. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why, again, go, the, even the Bible says, hey, God places the leaders over you. You might not like them, mm-hmm. but just pray for them, yeah. you know, because there's a there's a principle in that is you got to submit to authority even when you don't like that authority. And those people that, like you said, provide no substance of value to your life as a whole, they're there to serve you. How do you treat the person who's there to serve you? Do you treat them with respect or do you treat them like trash? Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah, or a dog or an animal that can't fight back or is just there to love you. That is – you can tell a lot by that. And, you know, it goes back to the military. Any branch, I don't have to be the Marine Corps. It goes back to what you learn in the military. I mean the problems you see in society as a whole, you don't see that in the military. Yeah. You don't see that because we're all – we all have this social fabric. It's this common thread that's lacking right now. 0.4% of our population is active duty military. Mm-hmm. 7.3% are veterans. Mm-hmm. That's it. So if everybody's living right now, 7.3% have served. You look at this generation, and not a lot of our, our age group served. If their fathers didn't serve with their grandfathers, there's two or three generations that are totally lost. Yeah. There's no appreciation. I can remember sitting in my grandfather's lap. He's talking about World War II, firing artillery shells, watching black and white TV. I can remember that. If, these, if there's that big of a gap there, there's no social fabric. I talk about mandatory military service. People give me a hard time. I don't want to have to make people go and I have to do whatever. You want to change the way this country's going. Give somebody something to fight for. Give somebody, give yeah. somebody something that it's common. There's mm-hmm. no commonality. No commonality, and nothing no. brings people together faster than having a common enemy even. Like you, I, you know, we just went through September 11th again. You know, it was the 18th anniversary of September 11th, and everybody kept putting the memes out saying, "I wish we could have an America like September 12th." Mm-hmm. Because what did we have? We had that common enemy. We had that reason to come back together and be unified again. Didn't last long, mm-hmm. but we felt good as Americans the next day because we came together mm-hmm. and there was that camaraderie because we have this common thing going on. And I also saw another meme that was very telling to a point you made e- recently is they said on September 11th, 2001, it became never forget. And then the next picture showed this person up in this cop's face mm-hmm. chewing him out and says, that didn't last. Mm-hmm. And it's right because now it's, you know, you got BLM out there is going, you know, hey, uh, we're going to barbecue some pigs. We're going to roll them like bacon and fry them like bacon. And, you know, we're going to all this stuff, which is just absolutely hate rhetoric. Then you have elected officials saying some people did something. Some people did something. And nobody gets upset. And that's the, that is the, another major problem in our political environment right now. We are so ensconced in our political, you know, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm 100% for this, 100% for that. We're so ensconced in those political beliefs that nobody can call that out. Mm-hmm. Tell me one person on the left that called her out for saying that. Yeah. If you didn't take offense to those words, you don't have a heartbeat. Dis- that is disgusting. It's literally disgusting. Some people did something. I know. And then, okay, so to that point, on a personal level, when you talk about emotional toughness, mental toughness, how quick are you to say whatever you feel and whatever you're thinking at that moment without a fear of consequences? You have to be careful of that, obviously. And and, and, and it is emotional control because the mm-hmm. initial instinct is to – I mean let, let's let's face facts here – we use emotions to make 100% of decisions in our life. Mm-hmm. 100% of decisions are made based on emotion. Mm-hmm. We use logic to substantiate it. Yeah. So we make emotion we make business we make these decisions based on emotion all the time. Michelle, so- do you make all your decisions based on emotional things? No. Yes, you do. <laughs> no. You're a woman. <laughs> I am also a left brain woman and a right brain. Yeah. I'm both. What's the difference? We need to look at your brain. 
<laughs> she's a doctor that does give her a little extra yeah. edge on the, on a little the more analytical yeah. yeah a little more analytical but we we're emotion based so you know the key is and especially in my line of work i do have to be careful with that because people do get offended so easily and the companies i speak to i tell them that like hey i'm a i'm a 1099 person here I, you can't go to hr about me like whatever and i'm not even telling you what i believe i'm just asking you critical thinking questions and they get upset about that they how, do oh yeah how dare yeah. you say that i just asked you a question like i didn't give you my belief my belief means nothing so i have i've never seen myself necessarily as a flamethrower there's a lot of political commentators political humorists they they're trying to trigger people i'm really not trying to trigger people although it happens anyway so I'm not putting my finger in your face and coming at you. And I have a lot of good friends who do that. That's their shtick. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. I just want to start a conversation. If that's stirring the pot a little bit, um, I again, I, I don't work for anybody per se. I have this ability. And the consequences are my own mm-hmm. if I put it out there. Uh, now, I have this really bad personality trait. And that is when I first meet somebody, I try to see how far I can push them just to see where their edge is. Mm-hmm. And then I'll pull back because I can usually find it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just like what can I, what joke can I tell? What can I say? And then and some people some people got a it's a long way to the edge. You know I'll never push you over the edge, but I'll show it to you. You about pushed me over the edge when I first got here. I'm <laughs> sorry, I don't get pushed over the edge. No, Michelle I love was saying it, but it was stuff. fun, right? Yeah, it was it's awesome. Fun. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, you know, you, you there's enough of that stuff shirt staunch stuff that you got out there. I want to look at culture. I want to look at life, and I want to have fun with it. I want to look at it. I want to make fun of it and at the same time make a point. I've always said let's take some common sense, wrap it in humor, make it an easier pill to swallow, and then let's see what you regurgitate. Let's see what comes out of you. And see, and actually what you just said are two very strong mental toughness pieces that you possess. Mm-hmm. That's basically self-awareness and self-regulation. So those two things you said, self-awareness would be you're able to pick up on somebody else's feelings. Mm-hmm. So you're not just aware of your own feelings. You're aware of other people's feelings. And then the self-regulation piece, you're able to regulate your emotions based on how you perceive them. Yeah, so those are two very two things you just said that would say, okay, that's, that's a mental toughness thing as opposed yeah. to no filter. I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm offending every single person. I'm going to continue to keep going what I'm doing. Yeah. You're totally unaware of the people around you. Now, when I was younger, I used to do that out of naivety. Mm-hmm. I, would, I was just stupid. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my sweet way of saying I was dumb. And so I was a kid, and I thought like a kid, right? I didn't realize how naive I was, but I, I was around a lot of adults, a lot of mentors, spent a lot of time in a lot of different countries. And you, you just automatically think, because you're educated and you experience these things, you just think you know more than you know. Mm-hmm. You don't really have that balanced with wisdom. But a few years ago, I finally got to that point in life where I said, I'm taking the mask off. I'm going to be me. I don't want to be my mentors. Mm-hmm. So I spent years trying to be my mentors. I want to be me. And I don't know. I, I want to say it was Rudyard Kipling who said you can only wear two two faces to the world for so long before you forget which one is the real mm-hmm. one. And I finally got to that point. And I do that. That's a, that's a, that's a self-examination I do on a regular place. Am I, on a regular basis, am I being me? Mm-hmm. Because I'm the only instrument God ever made to be me. Mm-hmm. So why try to be somebody else? And again, that's a strong emotional intelligence piece. And that's, a, that's the great— You hear that, Candace? <laughs> strong emotional intelligence right here. He's got it. And that's the great thing about emotional intelligence is I was not born smart. Like, again, you're born with IQ. Yeah. It is what it is. EQ is your brain. It's a muscle. You mm-hmm. can grow. So you can take anybody, regardless of book smarts, and make them an emotionally intelligent person. You can grow. You can get good at people skills. You can get good at understanding emotion. You can especially get good at controlling your own emotion, yeah. which is very, it's very, very difficult. That is tough. It's very difficult. How do, you, do you think it's healthy? Do you think it's healthy when somebody is somewhat of a chameleon in that they can go into 
any situation or scenario and just kind of adapt to that? Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Have you thought about that? Yeah, and it all depends on the environment. I mean, in business, obviously, that's a great trait to have. You know, you have to. At the same time, you can't walk in the situations and totally deny who you are and allow people right. to step all over that's you. That's a loss of integrity. Absolutely, it's a loss of integrity. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, controlling, but you, you have to be true to who you are. Yeah. But the good thing is, again, you can learn this stuff. You, it's, it's not like something that you have to be born with, that you can learn it. Once you learn it, and it can be, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's like manipulative, like my book. You know, people are like, well, that's manipulative. You're trying to get people to do anything you want them to do. And I'm like, that's kind of a byproduct of it just because sure. we communicate with so few people that know how to be personable, yeah. that know how to understand other people's feelings, that when you do get good at these things, you're going to find that you're able to make friendships pretty easily. You're, mm. you're able to get things that you want pretty easily because people want to do business with you. They like you. Yeah. I, you know, uh, we, we referred to Dale Carnegie early, you know, he wrote how to win friends and influence people, which is, you know, in many ways has been updated throughout the years. I mean, here's a book that was written what, in the twenties. And I mean, you know, it's, it was kind of, and there's been numerous sales books about, you know, people buy from who they like, those kind of things. I've always wanted to write a book about how to be likable mm-hmm. because that's, we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. And you've done that in a, in a, with the emotional marine. You've talked about these sixty eight principles and points of emotional. It, it uh, and that's one thing: how to make people immediately like you. It's not difficult, and nobody does it. I mean, it's just the simplest things, mm-hmm. just like being a good listener. You know, I can't tell you how many sales I've gotten from people just because I listen. Like, yeah. I'll spend an hour on the phone with somebody. I've only said. Uh huh. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Like literally. And it's like, they're like, oh my God, Eric, you're the best person I ever talked to. Just because I listen, we have an innate need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, so many people are just, they're horrible at it. We're, we're listening, trying to react without listening to understand. Mm -hmm. Emotionally intelligent people are very good at listening and understanding. It's so simple to do. Nobody does it, especially not guys. We're horrible at that. We don't listen to anything. We just, oh, okay. Do you say something? I didn't hear what you were saying. God, you're horrible at that. Exactly. You have me in a low. Exactly. (laughs) Candace, you say something? Candice, you want to chime in over here? This is gold. <laughs> I really like it. I like um, what you just said. Basically, people listen to respond and not listen to understand. That's I always like that viewpoint of it because it's very true. Like yeah. people are getting ready to form their argument as you're trying to explain yours, and no one understands anything. They don't because again, it's that old adage that kind of that proverb of that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. You know, spot on. And you're not listening if your mouth is open. It's like if if you're looking, you ain't cooking kind of thing. You know, (laughs) keep the grill shut. And so you're right because a lot of times people are talking and you're thinking of what you're going to say next. For instance, you ever notice on a television show, television shows, if you'll watch how they give the verbiage, the script, read the script and and, and repeat their lines, it's not like real life. For instance – when you're watching a sitcom or a television show, the person says their lines and they stop and the next person starts talking. That is not how real life is. We always start talking before the other person's finished. Mm-hmm. You ever been in a conversation with somebody close to you that you're in a good relationship and you already know what they're going to say. So by the time they're on the last three words of the sentence, you're already talking. Yep. It, I get my kids. I got two teenage daughters. They're 17 and 15. And I tell anytime I have any kids in the car, here's my rule. When somebody's talking, you listen. Steve. Huh? <laughs> Shut up. Sorry, I wasn't listening. Did I miss something? Sometimes though, Steve is so serious with his BS that I'm like, like I've learned you pretty well now as your road wife. Yeah. We're as my road concubine. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know about concubine. My road eunuch. Triggered. <laughs> Look at his hair. 
<laughs> I can't with you right now. Do, you, do I need to take it down? Do you feel better? No, like, no, leave it, Steve. It's like leave Fabio. It. I was say you Fabio. be you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I am every man. day. That's, this you is, can slay with that. I'm telling you. Yeah. Drop you off at the club. But on the lipstick. Take Ooh. it uptown. <laughs> I got bass but, on it. So. But like Steve will say things that are so serious, and I'm like, does he really believe what he just said? And you're totally BSing. Yeah. That's just your thing. You just make it up. Yeah. And, and it, I love that when you do it because the people that don't know you, they, they think you're actually to... telling facts. Yeah. Like somebody, you're laying some trivia somebody on Somebody fact-checked my whole – the. Uh, vegan with the spray tan. I said, your vegan spray tan has animal byproducts in it. And the next thing I know, they're over there. Oh my, they're worried now that they're spraying animal yeah. protein on them. I remember, yeah, that's so, right. People animal start sending species. you messages. Yeah. They do. So it's... But, you know, we, we said that facetiously and jokingly, but you take a guy like Steve, Steve, and Steve does not have a low IQ. Steve's, Steve's a smart dude. Steve's, Steve has a lot of street smarts. That's yeah. one of the things that I love about having steve with me I, all the time because he's got a lot of street smarts um you wouldn't know it by looking at him <laughs> and the guy's basically wearing a man bun right now <laughs> no it's not you got a not fart knot on your head you got one nope. of them little it's a twat knots. he looks like an actor in medieval times right now so it looks like come on right medieval times yeah game of thrones running ned start <laughs> you're the midget <laughs> The hey, Jerry Nadler. That you see our midget, buddy Jeff that midget got laid a lot. <laughs> well, I already had a big old uh anyway. Yeah. Um IQ. Bell buckle. The uh yeah. <laughs> you want some potato salad? Look at this thing. I got a plate for you. That was your potato salad. Uh party time mom. The um <laughs> What was I talking about? Oh yeah. yeah. No, 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 shut up. Did you see where our buddy Jeff Sperrier, who calls himself the midget from Pritchett? Uh-huh. He's our buddy. And uh, Midget from Pritchett, Pritchett, Texas, he posted a picture that was in the newspaper of himself when he was a kid, and he was he was in his wheelchair, and he was hitting the ball. Uh, and he said, look at the Midget from Pritchett playing baseball on this deal. And people jumped his ass, like, how dare you refer to someone as a midget? And he's like, it's me! <laughs> I really do want to get him a, like a little bitty Barbie car and to bring us on one of the shows sometime. Oh, he, he'll do and, it. Uh, come he'll out on stage it. with you. And That'd God bless you, Jeff. Jeff's been on the ventilator. He's had some respiratory issues. He's been sick the last few days. So God bless you, buddy. The midget from Pritchett. He's like, can, he's like, if I bring back the midget from Pritchett t-shirts, will you promote them? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I mean, you know, because again, you got to know where you got to do that because people don't, I mean, like you can call yourself the midget from Pritchett. Did I ever tell you about the time <laughs> when I was at the midget convention? Oh, here we go. And didn't know. Is it okay, Candace? Can you tell? I can tell it. You've heard the story, right? Yeah. I'll tell you when we get off there. Nice. They're the best <laughs> Little people of America. It was one of the most, it was the most phenomenal nights of my life. Didn't even know I was there. But it came downstairs. I was in Boston. And every week of the 4th of July, you want to talk about people who have emotional quotients that are high. Now imagine that. Imagine being a little person mm-hmm. who that's your, that's where you are in life. You'll never go anywhere that someone's not looking at you, mm-hmm. paying attention to you. They see you. And and as much as everyone else tries to be mentally mature, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to, you know, so here I am, not mentally mature, <laughs> and I'm in Boston, 
And I go downstairs, and I'd notice there were these little stools in the elevator and little stools in front of the urinals and little stools in front of the sinks. And I was like, hell. And so I go out, and there's these big banners that says Little People of America. And then all of a sudden, the sessions let out in this convention center. It's like somebody kicked an anthill. There were just 5,000 of them. Just, they just spilled out. It was like the lollipop guild, man. Like I'd landed in Oz, and the house was on the witch, you know. And, <laughs> I, and so I, was like, I made all these friends. I texted my wife. I said, I'm having sex with a midget tonight. And she was like, go for it. So... <laughs> Anyway, we're hanging out in the bar. We're having a time, man. And I've just made the best friends. And it was, we just had a blast. And the next year, they asked me to come out and be their keynote speaker nice. for the whole deal. And But I was otherwise engaged and couldn't make it. But we had a blast, man. But they, yeah, 5,000 little people, and we had a good time. And there's a lot more to that story, but I won't tell it here. Um, <laughs> I got in a little bit of trouble that night. Oh, yeah. We, 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 come on, dude. We were having a trip. I have a whole new demographic hating Chad. Nah, they love me. <laughs> They love Eric because, again, my thing is, and I'll tell you this, Eric, and tell me if this is healthy or not, okay? Like, I do this thing where I always say, I say it on stage, I say it on here a lot. I won't apologize. First of all, I'm not going to say anything I'm ashamed of. Like, I make jokes for a living. That's what I do. I make fun of people. Mocking is in the job description. So I, I'm not going to ridicule you on the basis of the color of your skin. That's stupid. I mean, that just that's that's nobody punches down like that. You, you, I'm just talking about stereotypes are built in fact we know that we look i i you know like andrew yang said the other day i'm asian so i know a lot the of doctors, doctors. Yeah. everybody jumped his ass yep. for it well i'm white i know a lot of people that you know go to walmart mm -hmm. so it's uh dumb that people get so triggered by this thing mm -hmm. right uh but there is a line you can cross and that's when it just gets into not healthy but i always say i'm not going to apologize like if i make jokes i love you mm -hmm. first of all and everybody, I always do that. I love you. I don't care who you are. Anybody that's ever been around me, we get along. I, I get along with everybody. I love everybody. I don't care anything. I don't care what you, who you love. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care, you know, what you are, what you think. If you're liberal, I'm conservative. I still love you. Mm -hmm. Fine. That's why I don't apologize. Because everything I say, even though I'm making fun, I'm doing it mm -hmm. in love. And we're, we do that. So I think that these, this culture of apologizing is really hurt us like let's say you say something again kevin hart he goes out and seven years ago he makes a joke that's considered homophobic and they take the oscars away so now he goes on this apology tour mm -hmm. so basically you're admitting guilt kevin hart is not a homophobe right you know it's Beto O'Rourke apologizing because he's white. You know, I mean, it's 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 unfortunately, especially when it comes to the racism piece of it. I mean, I just feel like I'm obviously not a minority. Mm -hmm. If I was a minority, I'd be very upset at people throwing the word racism around. It's racism is now a term that's used when you don't agree with somebody politically. Mm -hmm. You're automatically a racist. Like, wait a minute. There truly are people who are racist. Like there are people who hate people based on the color of their skin. Yeah. Let's reserve that term for them as opposed to using it towards people that you don't like. It's since everybody's racist at that point. So. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in your line of work and anybody who's a political figure or anybody who's any type of figure at all, the minute you apologize, you're done. You're finished. Your career's over. I mean, yeah. whatever it was, you're finished. You can't. So if it's something you don't truly believe you've done wrong, you absolutely should not apologize for it. You get more respect that way. Yeah. Instead of, again, running around the tour like the Betos, you know, I mean, they're just I hate, keep picking on him, whatever. It's apology after apology after apology. It's like all these people are apologizing for stuff. It's like, why Why do you continue to say you're sorry? Yeah. Like, grab hold. And if you really meant it, you wouldn't keep calling yourself Beto. Right. right. When you're an Irish Francis. white guy. Yeah. I mean, why do you – Beto. I'm writing a song right now. Uh, Beto is Spanish for <laughs> <laughs> How's that tune go? It's going to be a hit. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a hit. Hey, Candace.
Do you have the chorus or anything? No, I'm not singing it. I'm doing it Why on not? stage next week. They're going to have to come out to your shows. Yeah, like. you got to come to a show. you got to go to watchchad.com and find out where I'm going to be on the road. Come out there and hang out. Are they five grand for a couple tickets? Like no, no, no. I'm not Michelle Obama. I'm not Michelle Obama. Meet and greet? Mm-mm. VIP. Get a refreshment. <laughs> get to shake hands with Mike Obama. <laughs> Mike. Jeez. She's going to tuck for you. <laughs> That's so bad. That's me. That's so mean. Michelle's a woman, right? Michelle's a woman. I think she's a woman. They, she, you, they, them. Do you think that Malia and Sasha are their kids? I do. You know what? I got to take it something serious here. I yeah. will say this. I'm very. I I agree with nothing about Obama. Sure. As a father, I do respect him. I, I feel I think like he's he, a family man. Yes, I, agree I do that. really. I do really like. I I feel like especially with politics, that gets lost in everything. You know, mm-hmm. these people were just beating on him, beating on him. Again, I agree with nothing that yeah. he says. Nothing he does. He is a good family man. I agree with that, and I've said it. Many, many times, if Obama walked into this building right now, I think he would be cordial. I think he would be nice. I think he would be gracious. I think we could sit here. We could have a great conversation. Uh, was he good for America? No. I think his ideas and political philosophies are ideologically opposed to anything I believe mm-hmm. is good for America. I agree. Uh, but I think we could sit here. We could have we could have a good talk. We could have a good time. And I would be – I would be uh, – remiss if I missed that opportunity, I'd want to do it. You know, that's why I don't understand these athletes these days who say, well, I'm not going to the White House. We won the championship. I'm not going to go. Come on. Aubrey Huff, who won two World Series with the Giants, sat right there in that chair a couple of weeks ago, and he said, yeah, I went with Obama. You know, Obama was there. I don't like Obama, but I went. Because mm-hmm. don't you want to tell your grandkids you got to go to the White House? And, you know, it's a big, big deal. Yeah, and that's kind of cool to do, and that, that's the difference between – one side compared to the other side, we're able to have this type of mm-hmm. – we're able to show that kind of respect where, unfortunately, it appears in this political environment, if you don't like somebody based on their political beliefs, you hate them as a person. Right. That's the thing, right? That's that, a problem. that is a sure sign. I did a video uh, a couple of years ago about the phenomena, which is the internet troll mm-hmm. and the psychological aspects of what goes into that, everything from the narcissism to the – and all of these things, these four components that I, that I laid out that – that make up the need for these people to be that way. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's that way. And if, if I don't agree with you, like, really? You don't agree with my political opinion, so I'm evil? Mm-hmm. That's not That's not healthy. No. And I hate you because of it, and, yeah. and you're just a horrible person. You're a horrible individual that kills babies. And, yeah, yeah it's it's – it's scary, and it, it does go back to childhood. You know that's. And you've been on the networks. I mean, you've been on all the major networks. You've been out there talking, and and I've been on the major networks. I go out there every summer. We pitch shows in Hollywood to ABC, NBC, Fox, TBS. You name it, we're pitching shows. We we go out there all the time. And you sit there, and as a conservative guy, I already have the checks against me, right? I'm already at two strikes here mm-hmm. because I'm conservative. Now there's conservatives in Hollywood, but basically the Hollywood powers that be are saying we don't want any more. Mm-hmm. Like we've met our conservative quota out here. We don't want any more. And that's unfortunate because you have half of America that is truly being underserved in the entertainment business on the simple basis that people don't have the emotional strength to deal with a differing opinion. The hate's real. I'm on a plane ride coming here today. I sit down next to this lady. We had an amazing conversation. First 15, 20, 30 minutes. She's talking about her grandkids. I'm talking about my kids. I'm talking about sports, whatever. Playing, you know, we take off, whatever. I I break out my book. I'm reading The Real Deal, which is Donald Trump's book, The Real Mm -hmm. Deal. And she's like, oh, my God. Are you reading that? I'm like, no, I'm going to eat it for lunch. I'm like, why? You want a bite? (laughs) She's like, are you serious? She's like, here I thought you were. And I'm like, I'm just thinking to myself, here we go. And it ends up we had a cordial conversation, the whole, you know, we had a cordial conversation, whatever. But it's that initial gut. I'm reading a book. Yeah. 
and you dislike this person so much that you now dislike me because I'm reading a book about him. Yeah. Who's to say I don't hate him and I'm just reading a book to hate him even more? Like why? So it's it's, it's, it's the, the hate is so deep. You talk I'm, about, a, I'm doing research here to bring a man down. I'm finding a reason. These lights are making me look orange. What's going on with this, Chad? I mean, I definitely look orange in 30 See the whites around my eyes? Exactly. <laughs> Jeez. Run it's your just, fingers through my hair. It, it is a hate epidemic. Our, yeah. our nation is in the middle of a hate epidemic for no reason. It's yeah. fabricated hate. And it's unfortunately a big part of it are the political, the people in politics that are pushing this. You have to hate people. You have to hate each other. When I was in the Marine Corps, being in the military, we didn't see color in the military. Everybody mm-hmm. was green. Right, Steve? You're light green, light green. Exactly right. (laughs) Didn't matter to me. That meant nothing to me. What mattered to me was when something goes down, do I know that you got my back? Mm -hmm. And absolutely every single person did. We don't hate anybody. We have an innate need to love everybody. We learn hate. You like to be loved. You like to be loved. It's an innate need. You know, what do we grow up hating? Naps and the boogeyman. That's all we hate. We don't hate anybody based on their color. Remember, naps were punishment once They were. They were horrible. I'd die for one We're so dumb. I know, right? Give me a nap. Cheese in a bottle. Alan West, Colonel Alan West, uh, sat right there in that chair and uh, he said the last time he was here, he said, I didn't care what color your finger was as long as it was pulling the trigger. Good call. You're on my side. I don't care what color your finger is as long as it pulled the trigger and it was fighting for me. And, and that's that's pretty profound when you think about that because I don't I, – I, I could care less. That's .001% of our genetic makeup is the melanin of, in our skin, the pigmentation mm-hmm. of our skin. So we're the same. We may be culturally different, and of course we are in many ways. We're culturally different. Uh, but look, there's there are people who are – I took a 23andMe DNA test. I'm 100% white. It took me $59 <laughs> to learn that I'm 100% white. But I know other 100% white people, and we're culturally different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's just – I grew up down in the woods, and then you got some people that grew up in Brooklyn. And we, we're just different. Mm-hmm. And so that, it's okay. I don't care. Those cultures can come together. Mark Twain, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, nothing destroys prejudice like travel and nothing destroys travel like prejudice. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent 20 years of my life in and out of third world countries going to all these places where I was the minority. You know, I was in Nigeria walking down the street and they're screaming, Oibo, which is their N-word for a white person. Mm-hmm. It means peeled one. Hmm. <laughs> I found the humor in it. Yeah. You know? And so, and then a lot of the Yoruba people, the Nigerians, they, they will talk to you if you're white. They'll talk to you in a squeaky voice like, hey, hey, and that's their insult. Right, right. They're insulting you. They're right. being racist. Wow. In that moment. Mm-hmm. So you just like, that's just their culture. That's what it is. But this idea that you just want to go and just find somebody that, to hate, that's not natural. And they're throwing gas on the fire, unfortunately. You know, when they start talking about this person's racist and they hate this group of people and you have to vote for me because they hate them, it's throwing, flame, it's throwing gas on the fire. The, the, what percentage of the population is truly racist? What would you say? I, you know, whatever. Okay, let me give you an example. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about white nationalism. Let's talk about the KKK. Let's talk about white supremacists. Okay. The least attended professional sport in the world is the WNBA. Mm-hmm. They might get 7,000 people show up to a game. 7,500 people. If you take that category that I just listed, white nationalists, white supremacists, KKK, they would not match the crowd of one WNBA game in terms of how many there are in this nation. So you're talking minuscule, 330 million people. And by and large, when I walk into a restaurant, I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Listen, Donald Trump is not a racist. What? 
racists don't try to work to make sure people can get jobs. Mm -hmm. They don't do that. They don't invite my friend David Harris Jr., Brandon Tatum, Terrence Williams, all these guys, Candace Owens, uh, Diamond and Silk, all of my friends. They've all been invited into the White House numerous times. They've embraced the president. He feeds them. He takes care of them. He talks to them, hugs them, welcomes them back. Racists don't do that. There was something I read about that. So there are three questions you can ask any Trump supporter. You might have heard this. There are three questions you can ask any Trump supporter that will totally confirm if somebody's racist or not. Question number one, if you were able to assign all nine seats on the Supreme Court, would you assign nine black conservatives or nine white liberals? Mm -hmm. It's question number one. Question number two, do you feel more comfortable in the company of a white liberal or a black conservative. Question number three, your child's getting married. Would you rather your child marry a white non-Christian liberal or a black Christian conservative? Mm-hmm. 99.99999% of the time, they're going to answer the black one every single time. Why? Because race means nothing. It's their beliefs that matter. Right. It's a conservative piece of it. Those are the three questions you can ask any Trump supporter that will get to the root of, no, we're not racist. Genius. We love everybody. You're stirring the hatred. Nobody, no, we don't hate people. We love people. I'm stealing that. Please do. I'm going. It's to. hard to remember. No, it's not. <laughs> it's mine now. It's factual, though, Chad. It's, it's true. It is absolutely factual. True. 100% true. You know who my candidate was? Everybody was Ted Cruz. I, and I like Ted Cruz. Uh, and, and I know Ted Cruz. I know his dad. I'm friends with his father, Raphael, and friends with the Cruz family. But Ted Cruz was my guy. Mm-hmm. Ben Carson was my guy. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted a guy, and, and you know, Ben Carson, we had dinner together last summer, and he said, America didn't need a Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. It needed it needed a boxer, a wrestler, somebody that's going to come in here and change things up. Prime example, Ben Carson, do you know his mom could not read? Mm-hmm. She made him read books and write reports to her mm-hmm. every single week. She couldn't read. She made him write report, read and write reports. That is parenting to the, I mean, nth degree. She yeah. can't even read. She's making him. So you want to talk about somebody who came from nothing and made something out of it. Look at Ben Carson. What yeah. an amazing story that is. Incredible. He's an amazing individual. Incredible. Anybody that hadn't read Gifted Hands needs to. He is just an all-around amazing person. He really is. Mm-hmm. Super, super smart. I don't want to stop talking, but we got to stop talking, <laughs> Eric. This is This is my language. This is, I love this. This is where real life happens. You would think that this kind of common sense and wisdom would be normal and natural and people would get it, but they don't. Common sense isn't so common. They don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I want to I get back to a world of common sense, um, and I want to get back to a world of critical thinking, something that's not taught in our schools. Yes. It's, it's, we're completely void of that. I agree. Uh, David Barton, our friend here at the Blaze and Mercury One, David Barton has – uh, he's got t- he's got a museum over in Weatherford of some incredible historical artifacts. But one of the things he's got in there is he's got tests that were given to elementary students at the turn of the of the uh, of the nineteenth to the twentieth century, and they've given those elementary school those primary school tests to master's degree <laughs> educators, and they can't pass them. Wow! Because we don't know how to solve a problem. You said that earlier. You're going in, you're getting this rote memory education, and you're regurgitating it back just to get the grade, and then you're out. And now you go to college, and you don't know what the hell's going on. You don't, you don't know how to process life. 
you don't know how to take up opponent's point of view, you get offended by it. And then you have people who go to four or five years of undergraduate college mm-hmm. or university, and they're still graduating with a degree in undecided. Mm-hmm. They don't know who they are. Underwater basket weaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their parents haven't taught them. And it's the parents' role mm-hmm. to teach a kid their identity and their destiny. Yes. I looked at my five kids, every single one of them, and I said, okay, you're not a dancer. <laughs> I know I know you like taking ballet, but you're not a dancer. That's why these people wind up on American Idol trying out, and they can't carry a tune in a bucket. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, now I have a 19-year-old daughter who is on a dance scholarship. She's a professional ballet dancer, but she's on a dance scholarship to a university in, in America. Not a lot of schools do that, and I don't always talk about – I never talk about what school they go to, but – the other two daughters, not dancers. Mm-hmm. They have their own gifts. And it's up to a parent to point that out. That's objective reality. They don't do that. Yeah. And not just with your kids, with people, with friendships, with relationships. Objective reality hurts. I tell Steve all the time he's a <laughs> driver. <laughs> don't I? Every day. But I'm not going to drive. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. It's a lesser two evils. I may die with you driving one day. Don't even speak that. I mean, like that. This is the last show, by the way, right? I mean, this is this is this actually. Two. Now, people will see more shows in here before we're done and we're in the other studio. But this taping, just so you guys know, if you've stayed this long in this deal, and I hope you have, this taping is the absolute last taping in this studio. I'm honored. Hey, am I'm honored? I've had a blast, man. You and I are new best friends. <laughs> Stevie Ray Vaughan recorded right here in this room. Pretty amazing. That's impressive. Yeah. Somebody might say he didn't, but by God, he did. We've said it enough times. He did it. <laughs> the ghost of Stevie Ray Vaughan still in this building. The spirit of Stevie Ray lives on. All right. Here's what you got to do, folks. You got to get the book. You got to get the Emotional Marine 68 Mental Toughness and Emotional Intelligence Secrets to make anyone instantly like you. Throw his website back up there again, Puppet Master Mark. Throw it up there, mentaltoughnessspeaker.com. And it's Mental Speaker on Twitter, at Mental Speaker. Yes, sir. Eric Rittmeyer. We could do this forever. Here's what I want us to do, Eric. I want us, I want me and you to go out on the road. I'm and, down. Well, let's go do some shows together. Not shows. Let's go do some seminars together. I'm in. And let's teach people how to be mentally tough. I, I want to learn from you. But I'm telling you, this is a passion of mine. I I just music to my ears. You Passion. can bring the humor. I'll bring the Yeah, offensive. we'll have fun with it. <laughs> we'll see if they're mentally tough because I'll make fun of you. I love, I'm on board. Look, I look. okay, so people don't understand this. So <laughs> I'm a country boy, right? I, and so I was doing – back when I, stuff for me went viral the way that it did on social media, I was working on a, a travel show. I did three seasons of a travel show with Ride TV, which is an equestrian lifestyle network. They sent me all over the country showcasing in a humorous way these unique equestrian events, horse events that were out there. So, you know, naturally I wore the cowboy hat all the time because it just fit me and it was right and it was my culture. And I went viral doing this. So, you know, it's kind of become my thing over the years. And people look at me I'm like, here's a dude who is a white guy a heterosexual Christian male who, you know, identifies as straight. I'm a he, him, and <laughs> people can. I'm a, I'm a cisgender he, him, and, you know, you wear the cowboy hat. So people automatically, they're like, well, this, what's this guy? He's a fucking redneck. What does he know? He doesn't know anything. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, hey, bring it on. I enjoy that mm-hmm. because, again, it'll surprise you as we get to know each other. It's, it's like, again, if you've got that emotional and mental toughness, you can be exactly who you are. 
and nobody can take anything away from you. No, they'll actually respect you for that. People love, I get this, I've gotten it for years. People say, we love that you're genuine. Yes. You are who you are. Yeah. That's very rare now. It's good stuff, man. Yes, I like it. Eric Rittmeyer, get the book, The Emotional Marine. Go get it. Go get it. Pay attention. And hey, your organization. If you like to sell things, and that's every organization, get him. Bring him in. Hire him. Get Eric Rittmeyer at your next event. Do it. Do it. Do it. Oh, and by the way, if you want to come out in public and see me, watch Chad.com. It's got all the tour dates. Candace, this is a good episode. Really good episode. It's a good episode, Candace. <laughs> One of the last. This was fun. Oh, but it was just beginning. We've only just begun to live. I'm waiting for the hair flop back here. <laughs> I've learned that just every song, every every episode we do, should have a song in it. Like Anne Murray. Feels he let it down. By no, that's the Carpenters. That's the Carpenters. We've only just begun to live. She died of anorexia. Karen Carpenter. <laughs> she died of anorexia? Or she died Anexexia? of anorexia? Anorexia? Anorexia or starvation? What actually anorexia. killed Anorexia. Okay. You know who Karen Carpenter is? A singer? Was she one of the Carpenters? Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> I love our moments of silence as we just sit in the studio and feel the presence of Stevie Ray Vaughan. It's a good ending. We meditate. Watch the numbers And drop. David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie. Mm-hmm. You see the What's your favorite David Bowie out? song? It's a toss-up between Starman and um, Prettiest Star. Nothing? Captain Tom. Pressure. Major Tom. Major Tom. This is Major Tom to ground control. Space oddity. I'm stepping through the door. And I'm floating in the most peculiar way. <laughs> and the like stars look very yeah, different today. I love singing to you. Oh, here okay. am I sitting in a tin can. Far <laughs> across the world. Planet Earth this is, is charming. blue and there's nothing I can do. You're blushing, Candace. <laughs> I love I love it because she gets embarrassed. <laughs> That's great. So innocent. So innocent. She oh, really is. So great. she really is. She's like she's gonna like if she ever has a baby, it'll be an immaculate conception. Right? <laughs> it will be. She'll be in a manger or some barn somewhere. <laughs> Wise men will show up from the east. Oh my god. Poor Candace. I know. God bless you. God bless you. Hey, Ilan Omar is a criminal and should be deported, and I just want to remind everybody that that's a fact. Go get his book, Eric Rittmeyer. We'll talk to you next time. Love y'all. God bless you. Bye.